Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. One thing I didn't realize was the similarity in, in some ways between correctional institutions and healthcare institutions. Mm, interesting. Um, every prison has a licensed hospital in it. Oh, uh, yeah. Inmates get sick. Um, I mean, they get injured. There's, they have the same health concerns as, as people in the free world. Um, so every, every correctional institution I worked in already had a, a joint commission accredited uh, couple bed hospitals. So I'd been through uh, a, a lot more than I thought healthcare wise yeah. um, in the prisons. to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with the Vice President of Ancillary Services for Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital, Jonathan Westall. Now, John has quite the background, including time serving in prisons as a correctional officer and traveling the world working for PlayStation. Well, believe it or not, there's some similarities in those roles that really helped him develop the skill set to be successful in the healthcare world in ancillary services. In today's episode, you'll hear some cool stories from John and see how his skills have translated to success into the brand new Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital, which is not to be confused with an old hospital with a similar name. We hope you enjoyed today's show, folks, and if you do, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. Take care. Enjoy the show. John, tell the audience something about you that might surprise us, something maybe outside of the healthcare realm. So I think uh, one of the most surprising things people find out is my work history. Um, I started, my kind of first jobs were in departments of correction. Um, so I worked eight years in the prison systems, various federal, state, uh, military. I think uh, when people find out that you make the transition from uh, correctional facilities to healthcare facilities, uh, it's quite the jump. Yeah. So how did you end up working in the correction facility or facilities? Uh, so I started uh, in the Army. I was assigned to Fort Leavenworth at the military prison there. Um, and when I got out of the Army, um, some recruiters called from different for-profit institutions as well as a county institution. Um, so I kind of just made my path there. Um, I had a criminal justice degree and it seemed like the logical next step. Okay, cool. Now, you mentioned your criminal justice degree. What kind of inspired you to study criminal justice? So I've always wanted to kind of uh, affect my surroundings instead of uh, surroundings affecting me. Um, and I, I figured the easiest way to do that was, uh, I don't want to say law and order uh, and <laughs> sound like it's super black and white, but the, the idea that, that I could better my community or, or better the folks around me instead of letting the folks around me and the community affect me and, and how I conduct myself. Okay, cool. You mentioned Law and Order. Uh, shout out to my mom. Uh, Law and Order is one of her favorite shows. So I, I do a quick shout out every once in a while. That's fair. So uh, you worked in correctional facilities. Um, I noticed as well in your work history that you worked at PlayStation, which is a, a big name. I did, and I did. when I first saw security, I thought, oh, data security was my first reaction when I saw that. But then I learned a little bit more, and there's more to that. Can you talk about your time at PlayStation? So after transitioning out of uh, the correctional institutions, which uh, for a while, it's a good job, but it, it wears on you. Yeah, um, I bet. I was looking for something in the corporate security realm. Um, I 
landed at PlayStation, I oversaw the security and safety operations for uh, 14 sites around the U.S., uh, one in Canada, and then a couple in Central uh, Central America. So basically, we did the physical security and the fire safety, that, that stuff. So protecting the physical asset that the data lived on. So you might have a game, a pre-release game, or a, this when I worked there, it was before the new PlayStation system had come out. So those physical pieces of equipment were very valuable. Yeah. Um, the game, all the code that's written for the game, the storylines, it lives on a flash drive, um, essentially. I mean, it's, it's really simplifying it, but so the protection of these flash drives. Um, plus, some PlayStation uh, offices were not open campuses. They were um, closed areas, not for public, uh, public viewing. Yeah. And we had other ones where we gave tours and people met the characters and there were a lot of youth programs and stuff, as well as sales offices. And um, there's... I won't tell you where, but there's one uh, in the Venice area where they take all the measurements on the high-end cars for the racing games. Okay. So that warehouse at any time has millions and millions of dollars worth of high-end vehicles. Oh, and wow. And two guys there taking measurements. Uh, so security was a, a big concern around on areas like that. Yeah. Was theft, was theft the biggest threat, uh, like stealing vehicles, stealing equipment, or were there other types of threats you had to deal with too? So the, th- the first uh, first and foremost, it was always employee safety. Um, at the end of the day, that you could have a million-dollar car, but you can replace that. Uh, you have insurance for all that. Uh, you can't replace people. Um, so uh, number one goal, protect your people, um, yeah. whether that's from other people or fire, natural disaster, terrorist attacks, kind of the emergency management realm. Yeah. Um, and then secondary became the protect the asset and protect uh, the company's image, essentially. Okay, great. So security background. Um, probably some interesting stories. Uh, we can probably do a whole other podcast <laughs> yeah. on some of the stories uh, in the correctional facilities, especially. Um, but interesting for, time <laughs> for purposes of this show. Uh, what inspired you, or, or was the catalyst to having you go from working for I mean, one of the largest companies in the world, with mm-hmm. I guess Sony, uh, whoever who owns PlayStation, mm-hmm. um, to Making the jump over to healthcare, and I believe uh, was Huntington Hospital. Your Huntington next Memorial in Pasadena was uh, my first hospital. Um, yeah, talk about that transition, that inspiration. So my neighbor actually was a physician um, in my apartment complex. I lived in many years ago, who had done a rotation there and was telling me how beautiful this hospital was and how amazing uh, the staff were there. And, and if you've ever seen Huntington Hospital in Pasadena, it's it looks like a Ritz Carlton. I mean, you pull up through these grand double gates and the valets right there, and there's fountains and gardens. It's beautiful, beautiful place. Um, so I started looking it up on, online and just kind of poking around, and they had a security manager opening. Um, the PlayStation job was amazing. Um, a lot of travel, though. Yeah. Um, a lot of travel. Sometimes, you know, I mean, four or five cities a week. Um, wow. Which is really, really fun for a while, um, but it, it wears on you. Yeah. Um, so I was looking to be more. I love Los Angeles. Um, I moved here six, almost seven years ago. Um, I wanted to be more LA-based. Um, you know what I mean? This is an amazing city. It's anything you want, anything you want to do is here. Um, so I was looking for something with less travel. Okay. Um, Huntington Hospital came open. I saw it was, there was a security manager job opening. My background was in security. Um, I figured I'd, I'd throw my hat in the ring. Um, one thing I didn't realize was the similarity in, in some re- ways between correctional institutions and healthcare institutions. Mm, interesting. Um, Every prison has a licensed hospital in it. Oh, um, yeah. Inmates get sick. Um, I mean, they get injured. There's they have the same health concerns as as people in the free world. Um, so every 
every correctional institution I worked in already had a, a joint commission accredited uh, couple bed hospitals. So I'd been through uh, a, a lot more than I thought healthcare wise. Yeah. Um, in the prisons. Plus, when you work in prisons, um, you really learn how to talk to people. Uh, communication skills become paramount. You're, you're on a cell block a, as a correctional officer with 120 inmates, and it's just you. Wow. Um, so if you don't know how to talk to people, um, you're, you're not going to be good at your job. Um, you have to transition from talking to, you know what I mean, a, a 50-year-old guy who embezzled a couple million dollars, uh, well-educated, you know what I mean, maybe he was an attorney, maybe he's a physician, something like that, to transitioning to talking to an 18-year-old gang member who's whole face is tattooed and it has been a gang member his entire life. And you have to make that switch on a dime. Um, and you have to do it with 120 personalities for an eight or 12 hour shift. Um, so I, I think that's where I, I really honed communication skills. Um, and like I said, you're alone in there, uh, at least at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So your friends will come later, but if there's an emergency, but for, for most of the day, you're alone in there. Um, okay. So those skills, uh, coupled with, like I said, the, the healthcare, inside the facilities uh, prepared me a lot more for actual hospital environment than I expected. Okay. So security manager was the initial title yep. um, or opportunity that uh, allowed you to join the Huntington Memorial team. Yes, sir. My kids were born there. Uh, Great spot. Yeah. Great spot. I, I live in San Gabriel Valley and uh, do business with Huntington as well. So, uh, not not through the podcast, but through my day job. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it looks great. Um, but as you know, it's a variety of patient populations that they yes. serve there. Yes. That you ended up supporting, not just with specifically security, but you ended up kind of running their support services. Yes, I can, uh, it kind of the position grew into that. Uh, started as security, um, then kind of branched out to their ambassadors, um, who are the folks at the front desk. Yeah, um, parking, which parking is something that must be managed that no one wants to manage. Yeah, um, it's always Los Angeles always has a parking crunch. Yes. Um, so parking, um, and, and that morphed into the hospitality wing too. Um, kind of all the non-clinical support services, um, patient transportation, uh, janitorial EBS, um, food service. Okay. Okay. Now, question on the parking. Shoot. So, parking uh, is outsourced at, at Huntington. At Huntington. Um, and again, we'll get to MLK uh, for the majority of the show, but just a little bit about your background. Does can a hospital um, develop a revenue stream from their parking? They can and most do. Um, okay. So hos- the, the hospital owns the lots for the most part. Yes. And then they hire a contract company to manage the lots. Uh, okay. Most of them are integrated with a kind of a, a response system. Everything's automated now. Um, yeah. And, and somebody will respond if there's an issue. But um, hospitals, like I said, they generate revenue from that parking. Um, it goes, Huntington, as you know, is a, a nonprofit, a so it all yeah. goes right back into the, um, the funding of initiatives, security initiatives a lot. Um, plus the, the maintenance on Huntington has multiple structures. Um, you gotta keep them clean. You gotta maintain them. Yeah. Um, trash accumulates. People abandon cars sometimes. Oh um, yeah. It's, it, it, there is upkeep to it that, uh. That people don't realize sometimes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And maybe hiring an expert to run it for you yep. uh, could could work out in certain scenarios. Yes, sir. So during your time at Huntington, again, we'll get to MLK in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize behind the scenes how much work is put into the overall patient experience. We think when we think of a hospitalization, we think the nurses, the doctors, but what we don't realize is 
there's actually a significant amount of work going on behind the scenes that people don't got, don't get acknowledged for. Can you talk a little bit about that? What's happening behind the scenes that leads to a better patient experience and better outcome for the patient? So people go to hospitals um, and ex- expect the expectation is excellent medical care. Yeah, they're going to see highly trained professionals, doctors and nurses who have advanced degrees, uh, have significant training, have significant experience. Um, while all that is important um, and the main reason for going to the hospital, those are people's baseline expectations. Um, above and beyond that, they're going if they're going to be there for any significant amount of time, they, they want to eat a meal yeah. and they expect to have a choice. They expect that that meal is going to be tasty, nutritious, um, and they expect their environment to be clean. Um, so when you're talking about the support services, those are hundreds and hundreds of folks who are there 24-7 who are ensuring the facility is clean, who are ensuring the meals are prepared to standard, who are taking the phone orders. And then if you're a patient and you're checked into a room um, and you need, let's say, an imaging study or you need to have a, a blood draw at the lab or something, you need to be transported from that area. And when you get to certain organizations, that's across a campus or that's across a building. Yeah. Um, they expect to be brought there in a timely manner. If a, your nurse preps you that you're going to have an x-ray in two hours, then in two hours, if somebody's not there to pick you up for that x-ray, then you start wondering, what's going on? Have they forgot about me? It, it leads to anxiety in an already stressful situation. Right. No one's in the hospital because they want to be. Well, I hope not. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you have a team of folks behind the scenes Um who, who really can make or break an experience because there's certain expectations beyond medical care yeah. when you come to a hospital. Yeah, definitely. So we were talking off the air. Um, one of my inspirations to have you as a guest, um, one twofold, MLK, you know, Martin Luther King Junior Community uh, Hospital is a big name uh, for good reason. Um, in the past, there was another hospital with a similar name that might not uh, have been uh, have the best reputation. We'll talk about that here momentarily. But yeah, one of the inspirations was actually Chris Van Gorder, who's the CEO of Scripps Health and was on uh, the previous episode. Um, we, we sat down with Chris just a few weeks back when we recorded. And in one of his chapters, he talked about getting to know your people. Yes. And part of that was environmental services, where they often, I mean, from what I recall reading, people wouldn't even look at some of the staff and just because they're so busy focused on medical care, they won't even acknowledge these folks behind the scenes. And Chris took the time to get to know all levels of staff, frontline clinicians, environmental services behind the scenes. And they called, they eventually started inviting him to their lunches and parties where they didn't invite, you know, the frontline or the medical staff just because there wasn't a relationship. And so they called him chief. Now he was the CEO. So there's that connection, chief executive, and they just simply called him chief. Gave him a cool headdress, which he showed me. And you, we were talking, and uh, John, you know this story. Yep, yep. Uh, so talk about how Chris has been an inspiration on you as well. Mm-hmm. So I met Chris a couple of years ago um, in uh, the American College of Healthcare Executive Senior Executive Program, um, which that's also an amazing organization. Um, they gave me a full scholarship to their program. It was uh, a three-part series all across the country. Um, it was just, like I said, one of, one of the best educational experiences I've ever uh, gone through. Nice. Um, and one of the pieces, the, the West Coast piece, was here in San Diego, hosted by Chris. Um, and I immediately kind of took to Chris. Chris started his work life as a police officer. Yeah. Um, I started my work life as a corrections officer in the military police. Um, and from there... It, kind of similar paths. He's branched out. Obviously, he's a, quite a bit more experienced than me, and 
He's quite a few levels above me. Uh, but I've tried to model my career after his security through support services and the stuff that makes a hospital run on the back end. Uh, people don't think about it, but if your janitorial staff all doesn't show up to work the next day, the hospital will shut down. That much trash, that much medical waste that's generated and no one to take it, the hospital, the hospital can't function. Um, so Chris is right. He, the idea that you're going to walk by someone and not say hello or good morning, uh, to me, that's unacceptable as a leader. Um, yeah. you, you should be shaking hands. You should be smiling. You should be. Th- those are some of our, our lowest compensated employees who have some of the hardest jobs. Um, so those are the people we're going to see the, the patients every day. So if they're in a bad mood, that's going to rub off to the people around them. Um, and you can make someone's day by, by buying a coffee. Um, yeah. um, you know what I mean? Smiling and saying hello. Uh, nothing goes further in the employee engagement world, in my opinion, than when I'm in the cafeteria and there's a couple of my folks in line and I can pick up their lunch. It's not that much money. And in the grand scheme of things, it pays you back a hundredfold. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where, you know what I mean? I, I've spoke to Chris quite a few times, um, through the ACHG program and he, um, that's that's the goal, you know. What I mean, his, his frontline leadership book, uh, kind of a, a bible for us in the uh, in the support services world who are yeah. trying to get to that CEO level. Awesome, John. Well, thanks for uh, sharing a little bit about your connection there. So we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about John's transition over to Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital, also known as MLK. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. All right, everybody, welcome back from the break. So, John, you talked a little bit about your role at Huntington, um, jumping into the healthcare field. Talk about your transition over to MLK. So when I worked at Huntington, uh, we had a few folks who had taken promotions to Huntington from MLK. Um, they'd always kind of talked about, what, you know, I mean, it's really cool to be a startup hospital. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, yeah. It's kind of like working at like a new tech company, you know what I mean, where you're, you're, you're kind of, as you go, you're funded to do things and you're building new things and programs. And that's always really interested me. Um, same thing at PlayStation. I started with one site and, and grew to, you know, in 14. So yeah. I, I like building programs uh, in, in that model. So I had been to MLK a couple times um, for some professional organization meetings um, and to meet some other other directors in the area. Okay. And I saw that they had posted on their website a vice president of ancillary services position. So similar to what I was doing, obviously a larger role. I was a director of support services at the time. Uh, so a larger role. Um, and just the idea of, of being able to leave my mark on something, to build something that, that would be around for a while or – to start a program yeah uh, that, that really sucked me in um so, so i went down to check it out and worked out <laughs> okay awesome now you mentioned startup so people think about you know martin luther king mlk they're like wait there was an mlk or martin luther king or king drew medical there center was, before yes. isn't it the same and you guys i mean there's yeah. there's some stories from the past common misconception okay um so Martin Luther King, uh, there was Martin Luther King Trauma Center, Medical Center, which was a county-run facility um, that was built uh, in the early 70s. Um, in, in the mid-2000s, uh, they ran into some issues with uh, CMS and some reimbursement stuff uh, or reimbursed medical care and, and a whole myriad of issues there that uh, you can check out the LA Times archives if you, if you want more detail. But either way, the, the hospital was shut down. Um, 
with the hospital being shut down, uh, the county-run hospital, there was no replacement at the time. There was nowhere for folks to go in what we call special population area six. L.A. County is divided into multiple special population areas. Uh, and in the area we serve is special population area six. There, there was no replacement hospital. Our uh, of Margaret Lee Thomas off the board of supervisors uh, petitioned hard. Was he's kind of our uh, our godfather of the whole area. Uh, he he pushed hard and got everybody on board. And essentially, a new hospital was built. Uh, so I work for the Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital, which is a standalone nonprofit. Um, we have a, a long-term lease on the building. The county built the building for us, um, but we are not a county hospital. We are not a, a reopening of the old hospital. Totally new organization, our own foundation, our own board, uh, our own everything. Um, we have a lot of partnerships with the county. We're closely with them as, as we are on a county campus, um, but the the old MLK, so to speak, is uh, it's behind us. Uh, the county has some renovation plans. Uh, there's some offices there and such, but as far as medical care and the hospital, uh, MLK Community Hospital is is its own entity uh, near the old hospital. Okay, great. Thanks for the explanation of the difference there. So tell us a little bit about your patient population at MLK. So we see, like I said, special population area six, which yep. essentially is uh, the South Central Los Angeles area. Um, we are a safety net hospital, not for profit. So. We see everybody and anybody. Um, doesn't matter if you have insurance, um, if you're homeless, if you're, if you're not homeless, uh, if you have a job, if you don't have a job, commercial insurance, Medi-Cal, Medicare, uh, uninsured, it, it doesn't matter. Um, we see everybody there. Uh, we see uh, most of our folks come through the emergency department. Um, there's not a ton of primary care physicians, urgent cares, that kind of stuff in, in our area. Um, we're trying to build out a medical group right now, uh, attracting physicians down, as well as building two clinics and a medical office building. Uh, one clinic done, just signed a lease on the other clinic, uh, as well as the medical office building as well under construction will be open early next year. Um, so it's more creating an MLK health system uh, where we can see folks in the community, not just in the emergency room. Yeah, uh, We saw 110,000 people in our emergency room last year. Um, a 21 bed ED, super busy. Um, yeah, that's super super busy. How does that compare with your time at Huntington? Uh, in Huntington, I saw about 70,000 patients in a 56 bed ED. Uh, so busy, 24 <laughs> seven busy. Uh, but but the idea to decompress the ED and alleviate some of the, the pressures and the stress there is is build these clinics, urgent yeah. cares, medical office buildings. We're seeing folks in our ED. Uh, non-ED cases, folks who need dialysis, folks who have a cold, folks who have a broken finger. These are outpatient, um, outpatient options. These are these are folks who who shouldn't be waiting in our ED for for these essentially basic services. Yeah, but they have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, they, they, there's there's not a ton of options for them. Um, so that's the idea: build out this medical group, have clinics all across uh, special population area six, as well as. Get uh, the medical office building open uh, and start doing more things on an outpatient basis. Okay. Uh, therefore, decompress the folks in the ED. Okay. So let's say of those 110,000 folks, some the ones that are admitted, mm-hmm. um, you know, people typically think the nurses, doctors are taking care of them. How does your staff behind the scenes at MLK support these patients and why is the work that you guys are doing behind the scenes important on the HCAP scores or survey scores that impact the reputation of a hospital? So like we talked about earlier, the, the medical care is, is the standard expectation. Um, but when we're admitting folks into the ED, um, 
food's always a big win, um, especially you don't want to be in the hospital. You're there for multiple days at a time. You don't have a lot of choice in food, especially we have some of our, our homeless patients um, uh, who, who have never ordered off a menu. You know what I mean? They've never yeah. really had a choice. They, they kind of they eat where they can and, and get what they can. When they come to our hospital, there's a system where, where they, they have a menu off the television or off a paper menu, whatever, whatever they're more comfortable with. They have a choice in food. Um, they get to pick their meals every day, as long as within their dietary restrictions. But yeah. uh, and, and that's new for them, where they can call up and place an order. Um, it's that's a huge deal for people. Um, you and I might take it for granted because we can go to a restaurant anytime we want and, and order what we want. Yeah. Um, for some people, that's not an option every day. Um, people, like you said, who who don't have the, the best living conditions, sometimes they're they're in a clean room every day. They're seeing a housekeeper every day. Yeah. Um, and presentation of the housekeeper is is really a, a huge factor. When someone walks in a room and it's friendly, they say good morning, they say hello, instead of just coming in, grabbing the trash, and leaving. Um, yeah. th- those are your, that's your basic service. Um, but come in and say hello. A lot of our patients, uh, as in any hospital, they don't get visitors 24-7. So they're sitting there alone in a room. They're probably anxious because they're in the hospital. Um, they're sick of watching TV. Uh, so when someone comes in... Uh, to have just, uh, you know what I mean, say, hey, how's, how's the weather? You know what I mean? Or I saw your basketball team did good last night. Or, you know what I mean, what, what's your favorite football team? And they're having a conversation beside their medical problem, which is obviously a real problem because they're admitted to the hospital. Yeah. Um, that goes a long way with them. And when you come to HCAPs and surveys, it's it's your first impression and your last impression. Yeah. People remember right when they got to the hospital how they were treated. So those are your security officers. The security officers are the first person you see. And, and then how the last impression was, did the last meal they have, was it not good? Did they leave a dirty room? They'll remember that. They'll yeah. forget the, the three days before where you kept that room spotless and every meal was on point. You have to be on your game every day, 100% yeah. of the time. So how are your survey scores doing at MLK? Excellent. Um, so last month, top 91 percentile uh, for hospital cleanliness. Um, it's, it's a brand new building. That helps. But the staff we have there... Uh, they're, they're from the community. It's yeah. their hospital. If, if they get sick or their family gets sick, they're bringing them there. Um, so, so they have some ownership in it. I think that's huge. Um, our staff, they're internal employees. They're, they're on our benefits plan. They're getting their paycheck from Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital. They're not getting it from a third-party partner, which our, our partners are great uh, in some of the areas. But when yeah. we talk about cleanliness and someone who's going to go above and beyond, um, yeah. you want someone who's there who owns it. Yeah, so... You talk about owning things. Well, part of the owning things is being prepared for when there may be an emergency. And so tell us a little bit about how you use your knowledge and skills with emergency management to prepare MLK for, let's say, a natural disaster or terrorist attack. What goes into that? Training and drills. Um, we can talk about things all day long, but until you put a plan into action, uh, you, you have no idea what your what your plan really is. Yeah. Um, so the, L.A. County has something called the Hospital Preparedness Plan, um, where there's some grant money for hospitals to, to have some baseline plans. Um, we reached out and, and hired some good folks. Luckily, um, I had some great connections from a security background um, yeah. on the corporate side as well as the, the correctional side. Um, when, when you work in, in prisons especially, you train on your emergency plan every day. 
every incident, uh, and there are quite a few, uh, you spring into an emergency plan. So for folks who come from that background, it's second nature. Yeah. Uh, for a clinician or a healthcare provider, that that's kind of an outside duty. It's not something they practice every day. Um, yeah. So bringing in some folks the, from, from my previous life into this life, um, they, they know this stuff. Yeah. So we have, like I said, the hospital preparedness plan. Um, we have emergency plans for anything and everything you can think of, I hope, knock on wood. Um, and what we would do, activate command center and, and go into, you know what I mean, the, the HICS, we call it, uh, Hospital Incident Command System. Okay. Um, there's a ton of free training out there. Uh, FEMA puts on a bunch of courses. Uh, Teeks puts on a bunch of courses. And and when people don't take advantage of that free training, I, I don't understand why. Um, you just got to send your people. Um, yeah. So getting those certificates and going to the training, doing the drills. Uh, there's another hospital right down the road. Why wouldn't we do a joint drill with them? In, in the reality, when, when there is a natural disaster or a terrorist attack, we're all going to have the same problem. We're all going to have to share resources. We're all going to have to get on the same page, whether we're not profit, for profit, standalone, part of a system. At the end of the day, folks need to be cared for no matter who's paying. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So you mentioned no matter who's paying. Mm -hmm. So working at MLK, I think most folks uh, on the show, while it's not associated with the past hospital, it's actually right in front. The physical location is right in front of the old King Drew Medical Center. Uh, Forgive me if I'm saying the old hospital's name incorrectly. Um, So... Your reimbursement uh, must be a challenge um, based on who you're seeing. You mentioned, uh, you know, uh, earlier, you know, commercial insurance, Medi-Cal. You're seeing everybody. A lot of hospitals don't choose not to because of the low reimbursement. So how do you guys survive and sustain that? Tell me about your reimbursement. So we have uh, – there's some funding sources from state, county, and federal where we're reimbursed um, for all of our patients, for everybody we see. Um there's some assembly bills that were passed championed by our, our politicians in this area okay. uh, to ensure we're funded um, because the reality is the care needs to be provided and yeah. whether the folks can pay or not is kind of beside the point. Uh, so funding, uh, while it would be a challenge for other organizations, um, here we don't have so many issues, like I said, due to assembly bills and, and different sources that are uh, that our, our local political environment is taken care of. Okay. Awesome. So our audience is mostly healthcare professionals. Uh, the general public has access to the show as well. It's not restricted to like our distribution list or anything like that. Uh, if people are listening to the show and they want to support MLK, is, uh, does MLK have a foundation or how can people potentially even give? We okay. do. We do have the uh, the MLK Foundation. It's on our website. Um, okay. Our president, Diane Sublet, has, is amazing at fundraising. Um, but We'll always, uh, we'll always take any help we can get. That's for sure. Um, like I said, the, the idea is to, to continue serving, serving the community here, um, and pushing forward with that. So if anybody's ever interested in, uh, donating or getting involved in one of our events, um, you can check out our mlkch.org website. Um, and, and the foundation link is on there. Okay. Awesome. I also know you, John, you're, uh, you're pretty active on LinkedIn and post what's happening with you yeah, and, yeah. and some of the work you're doing. So, uh, I hope it's okay with you, but folks, you can follow John yep. uh, by searching his name, Jonathan Westall. Yep, W-E-S-T-A-L-L. Um, I'm huge on the International Association of Healthcare Safety and Security. I think that is the go-to resource for us uh, when it comes to security, safety, workplace violence, um, disaster planning, emergency management. Um, the organization does a ton of great uh, research, puts out guidelines. They're, they do surveys of hospitals all across North America. Um 
shameless plug i sit on the board for that um so <laughs> of course i want to promote them but uh we call it iahss um in there like i said that that is the go-to organization for us in the support services world um if we get everybody in every hospital to to be a member and and share in the knowledge that, that they collect it would be ideal awesome awesome well, John, uh, you've been a great guest. Uh, I hope it's okay with the audience uh, that I share. You're 33 years old. Thanks. You're a, you're a young leader. Um, yeah, I'm 39. Uh, it's not every day I have a younger guest. Uh, I have had a few, but uh, uh, congratulations to you. And um, you know, you've you've done some tough things in life, uh, from joining the military at age 18, working as a correctional officer, and uh, moving all over the country with PlayStation and now working with the, uh, the MLK population. So I appreciate the work that you're doing uh, as a young leader. Um, I know Chris Van Gorder has been uh, helpful to you Absolutely. in your role as a healthcare leader. And maybe one day uh, you'll be uh, a CEO of a hospital. Hey, that's, uh, that's the plan. We got some time, right? I figure I got to work probably at least 30 more years, at least. <laughs> so Awesome. And John's also a resident uh, in the L.A. area. One thing we didn't ask, uh, are you a sports guy? Oh, so I, I am. I grew up in the Boston area, though. Ah. So even though L.A. will be my home for, I'm hoping, the rest of my life, I'm still a Celtics, Red Sox, Bruins, Patriots Woo! fan. Yeah. Not Dod- so popular locally. Dodger uh, fans, Rams fans. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's not put my address out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. uh, you live in uh, the East yeah, Coast. Yeah, uh. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, just quick tangent there, folks, to uh, learn more about John personally here at the end. We should do that at the beginning, but I, I wanted to throw that out there. I thought I noticed a little uh, little twang or accent or something. Trying to hide it. Yeah. And what's funny, uh, folks, uh, we actually just released today as we're recording the Kaiser School of Medicine uh, which is opening in 2020, they're in Pasadena. We had their dean, associate dean, Dr. Maureen Connolly, who's also from Boston and moved out here to help start Kaiser School of Medicine. So there's some Boston folks here. Interesting. Okay. The weather's better. <laughs> yes. Way better. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, folks, Jonathan Westall has been our guest. He's vice president of ancillary services at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital. And uh, again, feel free to uh, reach out to Jonathan via LinkedIn. Uh, also, folks, if you've enjoyed today's show and would like to learn more about Pop Health Podcast, check out pophealthpodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have a moment, please leave a review about the show. Leaving those reviews keeps us visible, helps us gain traction, and get folks like John to spend a few minutes with us outside of his day-to-day routine. Thanks, everybody. Take care.